1: contains discussions of themes that might be distressing for some listeners. It's
0: like a
3: nightmare. Even living in Gaul's like a nightmare. There's so many memories on that, you know. close my eyes at night and I still see him,
4: you know. Sometimes I do think he's still there, but he's not reality of it
2: all.
1: And what do you want to happen?
2: I want someone to listen.
1: The Boy in the Water is a newsroom.co.nz production. Mysterious circumstances, improbable theories, a debacle of a police investigation, and a small town on edge. What really happened to little Lockie Jones? Kia ora, I'm Melanie Reid, Newsroom's Investigations Editor. Welcome to the sixth episode of our podcast, The Boy in the Water, More Questions Than Answers. Do you think there's any chance, like you guys are so convinced he didn't walk out there and even though there's been one investigation that has said that he walked out there and drowned, now you've got a second investigation. Do you think there's any chance that you just can't accept anything other than
0: No, because you believe? We put other scenarios to Stu Harvey. He wasn't even interested.
1: Detective Inspector Stu Harvey, remember, was in charge of the second investigation. There was a time that you came to me and you said, oh, I can't believe this re-investigation. The key cop hasn't even been to the ponds.
0: Mm. And he admitted that he hadn't been out there.
1: So how far through the investigation was that when, you, when he hadn't been to the ponds?
0: Oh, probably about maybe halfway through that re-investigation, because we were quite dumbfounded. With many of
1: their questions going unanswered, Detective Inspector Harvey agreed to meet Paul Jones and Karen Maguire at the ponds after the second investigation was finished. Paul and Karen have always maintained that the police investigation has been inadequate from start to finish. And Karen says meeting with Harvey proved to them how unfamiliar he was with the case. This was illustrated when they discussed what Lockie's mum had said in her police statement about going to the ponds the night her son went missing. Here's Karen Maguire, Paul's longtime friend and support person.
0: When we did that walkthrough, he still had no idea where Lockie's mother had stood. And he seemed to think it was at the bottom of the bund. And I said, Well, no. She stood at the top because she talks about seeing the ponds. You can't see them from the bottom of the bund, so it's like he had. It's like he hadn't even read the file. It was really disheartening, and we just kept emailing and getting him to explain, but he just couldn't. And we thought surely they're going to keep this investigation going um, because they just can't answer the questions we're asking them, and they're not. They weren't hard questions. They were questions like what it was about timelines, and um, and that. Key witnesses would be crossing over and Lockie's mum would be crossing with these key witnesses at certain times and it just, it just didn't add up. It just didn't make any sense.
1: So you'd got all the statements and you'd worked out that they, that they didn't line up, essentially. They, yeah. And you were taking that information and giving it to Detective Inspector Stu Harvey, who was in charge of the re-investigation. That's right. And you weren't getting a response. This episode focuses on the witness statements gathered in the days and months after Lockie's death. I'm speaking with Karen McGuire, long-time friend and support person of Paul Jones, Lockie's dad. What are your concerns about Lockie's mother's statement and the two half brothers?
0: I think one of the biggest things, Mel, was the question around the timing that the statements were taken. Okay, so these are the police statements. The police statements. So Lockie's mother statement wasn't taken till over a week later, and the two half brothers' their statements weren't taken till over a month after Lockie had died. And the other interesting fact is that they all three were taken by Cynthia Feely, who is the sub area commander, which.
1: So she's the, basically the top dog, if you like.
0: The top dog of town, yeah.
1: And so it is interesting, if you look at the chain of command of how a small police station works in the Southern District, there's the area commander based in Invercargill, and then there's all these sub-area commanders, and Cynthia Fairley's one of those.
0: Yes, that's my understanding.
1: So it is interesting that she's taken those statements.
0: Well, it is. Well, I'd I'd compare that to a CEO of a bus company going out and changing the the bus tyre. It was just an interesting... something interesting to
3: note. You know, she didn't take anybody else's statements. I live in Salford Street with two of my three sons. Lachlan's father is Paul Jones.
1: Lockie's mother's statement, arguably the most important statement of all, was not taken until 10 days after Lockie's body was found. This is an actor's voice, and we have taken out her teenage son's names.
3: My two teenage boys have a different father. I split up with Paul, and I have an interim parenting order, and the day-to-day care of Lachlan. I split up with Paul on the 25th of August, 2018, Lachlan Paul Graham Jones was born on 24th of May 2015. Paul Jones has visitation and can stay nights at our home address in Salford Street, Gore. Paul came and stayed Sunday and Monday nights so he could spend time with Lachlan. Paul drives for NZ Couriers but lives in Invercargill with his father and stepmother. I thought he was going to stay on Tuesday night as well, but he had to get his hair cut in Invercargill. He usually stays on the mattress in the lounge. This time he slept in my bed and I slept in the lounge.
1: Paul says he and Lockie's mum had been getting along a lot better. I thought, well, wow,
4: it would have been better to patch things up and go down, you know. My My biggest plan was to get things right because then I could keep an eye on Lockie. Well,
0: I would have moved back in there. I would have rolled it on, definitely. I would have done whatever I... Could to see Lockie,
1: you know. And yeah, at that stage I still definitely had feelings from Lockie's mum and what a, yeah. Back to Lockie's mother's statement, some of it has been edited for length.
3: On Tuesday, the 29th of January 2019, Lachlan had been to Kendi during the day as usual. It had been a very hot and sunny day finished at 2.30 p.m. and he gave hugs to three girls who go there. At kindy, he could open the gate and he would always want to open the door to come home. He would not let me do it. <laughs> he liked the gates and doors. If he got to the car before me, I would open the door and put him in the car and if he would get in, he would jump in quick and lock the door. He thought that was a fun game. I didn't. On that day, he locked the door of the car on me. He sat in the driver's seat and said, can I drive, Mom? But I had a magnetic key and used that. When he learned to climb onto the bench at home, I threw away all medication in the house. I was trying to remove all the risks from the house. The only stuff I had was Panadol and Loratide and antihistamine for hay fever. And it's in a pink plastic tub, which, you know, he couldn't get to. A recent thing he liked doing was to run away from me and hide.
1: I am talking to Detective Waddell about Lachlan Jones. Next is the police statement from Lockie's kindergarten teacher. Again, this is an actor's voice. Lockie had the kindest soul. He had great
5: communication skills and was often role-playing as a police officer, handing out leaves and stones as tickets. He was very well liked by all the staff because of his kind and polite nature. During class time, Lockie was always working alongside his friends and I never had any issues finding where he was. My impressions of his mum were that she was very attentive, caring and maybe even a little anxious about him. Just in the way that she always wanted everything to be perfect for her little boy. She always went out of her way to ensure he was happy and had what he needed. I hadn't noticed Lockie playing hide-and-seek type of games while at preschool, and I have never known him to take off from his group. He was always too busy immersed in play to take off.
1: As per usual, Lockie was picked up from kindergarten at around 2.30pm that day.
3: After kindy, I went home and I would have dropped my 16-year-old son off at work. I went to the courier depot on Wardsall Street, Gore. I usually can sign the RD parcels and get them ready and sometime into the scanner for the next day delivery. I do other jobs at the depot to fill in the time until it's time to pick my 16-year-old son up from work. To me,
1: what's really puzzling is that in Lockie's mother's police statement, there's no mention of where he is from the time he was picked up from kindy through into the evening. I'm not suggesting anything that can't perhaps be explained here, but it seems a strange omission, especially when you consider the statement was taken by the district's sub-area commander, Senior Sergeant Cynthia Fairley. There's also no mention in Lockie's mother's statement about her going to the depot around 4pm that day. Here's Paul Jones.
0: I was down by the desk because we had uh, some late freight that day, so and uh she came running in and uh said oh oh Lockie hasn't been very well and i picked him up from kindy and
3: it's hot and that so he's going to go home and have a sleep so um just go and get your hair cut and uh i'll get him to ring you and i said "Oh, I
0: said, oh okay
1: so was L- Lockie in the car
0: i didn't side him i didn't she was off that quick i didn't sight him so
4: I am 16 years old and I live with my mum at Salford Street, Gore. I am making this statement to Senior Constable Cynthia Fairley of the Gore police station in relation to my little brother, Lachlan Jones.
1: The statement from Lockie's half-brother was not taken for over a month after Lockie's death. Again, this is an actor reading excerpts from what he said.
4: I played the computer quite a bit, ESO. I just Scrolls Online, and I have a gym in the spare room as well. On Tuesday 29th January 2019, I had to go to work. I got up about 2pm, it was still the school holidays. I made my breakfast, which you could call my lunch, and then went to work near the clock tower in Gore. Mum usually drops me off, Lockie was at preschool. Mum would have picked him up from there and then come and got me and dropped me off at work. I've been at work from 3.20pm until 5.30pm. Mum would have picked me up from work and come home. We may have gone to the grocery store on the way home. I think we got home quite late, later than usual.
1: At the very least, there's a three to four hour gap of where Lockie was after being picked up from kindy through until the early evening this should have been addressed by police. Back to Lockie's mother's statement, we'll take it out from where she talks about heading for home with her 16-year-old son.
3: I usually pick him up about 5.15 to 5.30pm and then head home. It was a very hot evening. I'd been outside in the evening trying to fix the hose and sprinkler for Lockie to play in. Paul had told me to get a paddling pool, but I thought that was too risky and unsafe, as I would have to keep emptying it out each night to keep Lockie safe. Lockie had been hosing me with the hose as a... game. I think I phoned for the pizza on the home line at about 7.30pm. I couldn't be bothered cooking. I checked my boss and I had driven down and paid for the pizza at 7.44pm. My 16-year-old was at home looking after Lockie in the lounge... He didn't want pizza, so I was in the kitchen looking for something to eat.
1: Remember from the early evening, Lockie's mother and Paul Jones had been texting each other, which included arranging which motel to stay at in Dunedin City the coming weekend. Back now, though, to Lockie's mother's statement.
3: Then Lockie came to me saying he had poop. He still wears a nappy. I went to change him twice and he ran off each time. I said, buggy you, Lockie, I give up. He treats her like a bit of a game. Usually I make sure all the doors are closed before I try to change him. I'm pretty sure all the doors were shut, but they would not have been locked. At about 9pm I went to help my 16-year-old son with his weights. It wasn't for a long time. He had been calling out for me to go down to the room in the house where he was.
1: Her son had a home gym, and next you'll hear Lockie's mum reference the time... This is important to note.
3: I set the wall clock for about 10 minutes fast. I think it was about 9.15pm on the clock. So it would have been about 9pm. I had to run up the hallway to go help my 16-year-old son. He needed me to help him with the weights to incline them so they didn't fall on top of him. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since
2: we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft.
1: All right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
3: I went into the room and shut the door behind me. I was being cautious that Lockie wouldn't follow me into the room and, in case the weights fell on him. I helped lift the weight. I walked out into the kitchen and looked out the kitchen window. I saw the yellow vest and thought that kid looked like Lockie. I called out to Lockie. I thought he was playing in the lounge. I went into the lounge and saw his program had finished on the TV. I had it on YouTube, a police cartoon thing realised it was Lockie running down the street.
0: My big question is, how did he get out of the house?
3: Here's Karen
1: McGuire Again, she asked just how, how thorough leave, the police investigations the were.
0: Now, he can't reach the door handles, so has he dragged a chair across the floor, opened up the door, which we know doesn't open easily because it jams? Maybe the door was open. No, she no. She said in her statement, they were all closed, just not locked. It does not make sense. I dispute the fact. How did he get out of the house? And Detective Harvey didn't want a bar of it. He just looked at me and said, obviously through the door. What a lot of crap! Show Detective me how we go-
1: Detective Harvey did the re-investigation.
0: Yeah, show me how he got out the show me how he got out the door. That would be basic policing, wouldn't it? We know he couldn't reach the door handle. We know the door jammed. How did he open the door and how did he get out of the house? It's a simple question, Detective
3: Harvey.
1: Back to Lockie's mother's statement, where she describes what she did next.
3: I ran outside, down the driveway and onto the footpath. I ran up behind Lockie and caught up with him about a house before Debbie's. I said, Lockie, you shouldn't run away. You are naughty, you shouldn't run away. I wasn't growling, it was in a normal voice, trying to explain not to run away. I said, you might as well say hello to Debbie now. That was at the side door of Debbie's house that opens onto the driveway. Lockie knocked on the door and I walked into the house. Lockie was in front of me, I said, Debbie, it's us. I went past Lockie and I spoke with Debbie. I said, we're not staying, Lockie had pooed his nappy and I really needed to change him. I had Lockie standing at the door out of the corner of my eye. He was about a metre into the house.
1: Debbie, in her police statement, says she didn't actually see Lockie. She just heard a tap, 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 and recognised that as Lockie knocking on the door. Back to Lockie's mother's statement.
3: He had his high-vis vest on. I recall saying, I gotta go, I gotta go. Then I didn't see Lockie. It was only a 30-second conversation with her. I thought... He had gone either to the swing at the back of her house or home to our place. Lachlan had bare feet, so he would run faster than if he had shoes on. He was wearing black and white kid's police cap and a Plunkett Hiver's vest. I didn't see him out the back, and I ran out. He wasn't on the street at all. I looked up both ways of Salford Street. I thought I would easily see him as it was such a short amount of time and he had his vest on.
2: I am talking to Detective Waddell about a little boy who went missing last night. I don't really know the little boy. One of the adults last night told me his name is Lockie.
1: A teenage girl and her friend who live on the street say they saw a little boy in a hive's vest. The 14-year-old girl's account would become a pillar of the police case. Again, this is an actor's voice.
2: Last night I was over at Marshall's house, which is next door to our place. I went there at around 8.30pm, maybe a bit earlier. I've just checked my phone, and I know from a conversation on Instagram that I was having before I went, that it was around 7.45pm when I first went next door. I went to cover some school books and do a fake tan. Me and Marsha were sitting at the table in their dining room when I saw Lockie go past. I'm not sure exactly what time it was, but I think it was around 8.30pm because I was talking to my friend Talia on Snapchat. I'd finished covering my books. When I saw Lockie, at first I thought he was my other neighbour, Hayden or Reagan. He was heading towards Grasslands Road, running quite fast. He was wearing a yellow hiver's top. I think it was a vest and another top underneath. But I didn't get a very good look.
1: So first of all, we've got Lockie's mother saying that he went missing at nine, yet the witness is saying she saw him at 8.30. At 8.30.
0: And the sergeant's explanation for the key witness being out by that time was that it was Daylight Savings and her phone was probably out an hour. Which is absolutely ludicrous because Daylight Savings was on Sunday the 30th of September 2018.
1: That's when it changed over? That's when it
0: changed over. So are we expected to believe that her phone was the only phone in New Zealand that didn't automatically switch over? It's insane. That's ridiculous. Because What you're saying is they can't have it both ways? No, they can't. Was he at home with his mother at 8.30 or was he running down the street? They never followed it up. That was the explanation for the timeline. Her phone was out because of daylight savings. Possibly the only phone in New Zealand that didn't automatically click over.
1: Back to the 14-year-old's witness statement.
0: I
2: left Marshall's place to come back home and get something pretty much as soon as he went past... I walked out of Marshall's Place and turned towards our gate, which is pretty close. I saw a glimpse of Lockie again. He was at the corner of Salford Street and Grasslands Road. Then I noticed he wasn't with an adult, so I turned and looked down Salford Street, towards the main road, because that's the way he'd come from. I saw two ladies standing either side of that end Street that runs off Salford Street on the same side of Grasslands Road. I later found out that one of these ladies was Lockie's mum. She was wearing a pink dressing gown. She was the one standing closest to me.
1: You think that this is a case of mistaken identity? Absolutely, I do. So why do you think the key witness has got a case of mistaken identity?
0: Because she states in her statement that as she walked out the gate from her neighbour's place, to her right, she could see a young child in the fluoro vest, right, on the corner. To her left, she could see two ladies talking. Right, now that's a clear footpath, no obstacles. So that being the case, why couldn't the ladies see Lockie in that straight line? Also, she mentioned uh, the ladies that she saw, she found out that one of those was Lockie's mother and she lives in the White House with a set of swings and a red car. She was wearing a pink dressing gown. She was the one standing closest to me.
2: I think she lives in a white house down our street with a swing set on the front
0: lawn, and there's usually a red car parked in the drive. Well, that's absolutely incorrect. That house actually belongs to Debbie Vigor's which is not Lockie's mother. So case of mistaken identity, did she see Debbie Vigor's grandson run past? If she thought that um, that was Lockie's mother. That's what the police have based the whole investigation on, that this witness has seen a boy fitting Lockie's description on the corner of Grasslands and Salford Road. That's it. She's got discrepancies in her statement. Um, What are they? She didn't know Lockie, So, and all the times that she saw him, allegedly saw him, she was only getting glimpses of him. She thought he was wearing shoes, which we know he wasn't. You have to ask the question,
1: though, Karen, how many kids would be running past with a high-vis vest on at eight thirty, nine, 9, whatever the time was, mm-hmm. at night?
0: Now, a lot of children Mel in Goa, a lot of young children, all have fluoro vests. They're provided by Fonterra or by Plunkett. So you'll often see children around with fluoro vests.
1: In the suburbs. But realistically, what are the chances of seeing a child run past at you know, nine pm, eight thirty, nine pm at night.
0: But you've got to remember this is it was a hot evening. There were kids out on the street, there were kids out playing. It's not a high bolted gated community in Middle America. It's a big wide open tree lined street. So it's not like it's
1: highly unusual for other kids to be out running around. But, even though it's a Tuesday night and it's nine o'clock.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's not unusual. And even the witnesses say that. And in the paper, it's not unusual to see children playing out on the road or the street. It was also unusually hot, wasn't it? It was really hot. Yeah, sticky, muggy. Explain to me the light
1: in Southland because that's one thing that people don't understand. It. I've been down here, you know, often in my life, and at 10. 30, 11 at night, it's all it's still light.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how huh? you do forget. Yeah. So yeah, it's still daylight hours. You can still be out gardening after ten o'clock at night, especially on those warm nights. Because we don't lose our light till a lot later. Gosh, then everyone's going
1: to move to Gore, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, even though you hear nine o'clock, you think, "Oh goodness, that's you know really dark and that's late." In Southland, it's not. We've still got another hour and a half of daylight. You know, so we can still go out and do things. By ten thirty, you might you may need your torch, but you'd still have still have reasonable sight, and you'd still see a little fluoro vest. And all that time they went looking, they didn't see him. And at the end of the day, there's no evidence he climbed over that gate, no evidence he walked down to that second pond. At all. And had he fallen in, where's the marks on his body? It was, only, it was only 30 centimetres deep at the edge where that he was found. Why didn't he stand up? What was he found with his legs bent? We've got more questions than answers from the police, and not one of them have got the balls to come and face us and sit down and tell us what happened or answer our questions. Because every time we ask a question, they fob it off and say, but we've got him at the corner. That's, it, that's their answer.
1: We've got Lockie at the corner, meaning the witness yep. has him at the corner.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's their answer. So how'd get out of the house? Doesn't matter. We've got him at the corner. How'd get to the pond? Doesn't matter. We've got him at the corner. Well, how the hell did he get from the corner to the pond? we would have just walked down that way. If that's the policing in this country, we're fucked. Absolutely fucked, because that's not policing. They didn't explore any other alternative avenue.
1: In an effort to get to the bottom of the confusing timelines and contradictions and witness statements and all the things that just don't seem to add up. I went to the police, or at least I tried to, multiple times in fact. Each approach has been met with the same answer. They can't comment because Lockie's case is now back with the coroner. Frustrated, I told them I didn't think their stance was serving the New Zealand police force or their individual officers. And just as we were about to publish this episode, they responded saying they will maybe consider doing an interview, which we will, of course, very much look forward to. The case has now been with the coroner since late 2021, when the second investigation concluded. The role of the coroner is to make a finding about cause of death, but they can also call for another investigation or an inquest, which is a formal court hearing, into the death. Part of the material the coroner is currently reviewing is the police reinvestigation file. Media access to it has been restricted. Paul Jones has also put in submissions to the coroner through an American detective who is now acting pro bono for him. With an empty wallet he gave up using lawyers ages ago, and between him and Karen McGuire, they have, in a surprise move, got a retired CSI detective from Florida on the job.
2: When I see a case like this, a three-year-old little boy who was found deceased in a sewage pond, and nobody knows how he got there, and nobody knows what happened, oh, honey, That's a case, you've got my attention.
1: The US forensic detective has more than 500 homicide cases under her belt, and has every intention of heading down under, way down to Gore. Can I just be really blunt? Sure. Nobody with authority gave
2: enough of a shit to find out what really happened. Well, I'm going to.
1: You'll hear more about the American detective later in the series, how she became involved, and how she is unravelling the case.
2: Come hell or high water, I'm going
1: to find out what happened to that little boy. But coming up in the next episode... The controversial Council versus WorkSafe case takes a massive U-turn, and Paul and Karen are gutted.
0: I was at home, and Paul come roaring up the driveway, and he says, you're never going to believe what's happened. I said, what? And he said... The council have plead guilty.
1: For more journalism that matters, including our award-winning true crime series and podcast Peter, Alice, The Crash Case and Me, head to newsroom.co.nz or your favourite podcast app. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. You can also follow our social media pages by searching Melanie Reid Investigates. This series is written and produced by me, Melanie Reid, along with Bonnie Sumner and Judith Curran. It's edited by Paul Entercott Original music by H Pryor. You're listening to The Boy in the Water, public interest journalism funded through Aotearoa, New Zealand, on air.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50